The views and opinions discussed on this show are of the guests and host. They do not reflect the views or opinions of associated sponsors or affiliates. Sudden alteration in belief systems, moodiness, and confusion are natural side effects of listening to this podcast. Enjoy at your own risk. It's the odd, odd, odd to Newfoundland. Ghostly greetings from your host, Jonathan. Mysteries, ghosts, monsters, and lore. East Coast esoterica and so much more. If it's up to you, friend, it's on the up to you found line. <laughs> I have got so many wonderful things to talk about here on the Odd the Newfoundland Paranormal Podcast. But before we go on with our future guest here, I need to talk to you guys a little tiny bit about something really, really cool, which is, oh yeah, that's right, our amazing sponsor. Without Acusanus, this show would not sound half as good as it does. I promise you that. An amazing, amazing sponsor. Absolutely love these guys. One thing I'll say is that I have had the ability to take the absolute dreadfully most worst sounding part of my shows and make it sound absolutely stellar. And the really cool thing is, no brain power needed, folks. Acusanus is a mere turn of a knob. Do you like making audiobooks? Do you like making stage plays? Do you like podcasts, video games? Do you twitch? I mean, I can I can go on and on. Sound quality is so important. What happens, okay, if you're recording and all of a sudden you hear the bell schnickel in the background? I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You're going to want to edit that mofo out, but you can't. <laughs> That's why it's so cool to have Acusanus right here with us as a sponsor because with a mere turn of a knob, you can edit out all the Christmas gremlins and all the misery that's, why would you say, making you kind of have some pandemonium in your pear tree. Anyway, guys, so thankful to have them aboard. Thanks again, Acusanus. Year number five starts on January 1st, and I could never thank you enough for standing by us here at the Odd Newfoundland Paranormal Podcast. Tonight's guest is a fellow paranormal investigator and author. She's appearing tonight for the second time, believe it or not. She was actually on for an episode called Fractured Spirits many, many moons ago. It is now episode 290, and she's here for a little bit of a Christmas special, so to speak, to talk about one of her books, The Spirits of Christmas, The Dark Side of the Holidays. An old dear friend who reached out to me in a very timely manner, actually, couldn't believe it. I was like, man, who am I going to have as a guest tonight? And then, boom, she messaged me like it was crazy. And I was just like, oh, God, I'm so glad to have <laughs> Sylvia Schultz back on the show. Sylvia, you're alive. How are you? Woo, John, I am happy to be here. <laughs> I'm super, super this excited. Is great. So excited to have you back. The, the sound of you cracking up laughing in the background while I'm doing the sponsor is is is, is awesome. <laughs> I always laugh. I try my best to have some fun on this show. You know that. And uh, Oh, I know that. <laughs> I'm so glad to have you come back and, and an opportunity to talk about your Christmas book. And it's funny because I said to you three years ago, has it been that long since you were on my show? Was it three years ago? I think it has been, yeah. My God, Sylvia. Too long. Too long. Too long. I think it was pre-pandemic I had you on. So, yeah, yeah like we're talking 2019. 
I mean, this Crazy. book has been out for a long time, The Spirits of Christmas, The Dark Side of the Holidays. But you actually got a it brand new book. Christmas every year. That's yeah. all good. Yeah. How long has it been out for? Oh, golly. Spirits of Christmas came out in, oh, I'm <laughs> looking at the copyright here. It says 2017. My God. I mean, wow. that's ancient history now. But see, this is the thing. We want to talk about. <laughs> right. <laughs> we want to talk about Spirits of oh, Christmas. Man. But but Sylvia, you got a brand new book. What's the name I of it? I do. Oh, it's called Gone on Vacation, Haunted Zoos, Museums, and Amusement Parks. I mean, is this not the coolest author ever? Like, come on, guys. She's awesome. <laughs> and we'll be sure to link the, the book and stuff in the show notes for you guys when this goes up in podcast form. Thankful to have you here tonight, of course, Sylvia. Thanks for showing. You know, it's never fun to talk about oh, weird things. Never fun to talk about weird things myself. It's kind of boring. So <laughs> I'm super excited. But, you know, from every person on this planet, you know, as soon as they think of ghosts and ghoulies and whatnot, they always think about October. But there's actually been quite a lot of Christmas, how we say, spirits. The idea of telling ghost stories around the campfire is actually a December thing. It's really, really interesting. And and I can't wait to delve a little bit into this book with you. It, it's segmented in many parts. I'm going to let you go ahead and, and just yeah. talk about just really – how Christmas and, and spirits and ghosts and stuff like that actually kind of walk hand in hand with each other on this plane. Yeah, yeah. We say ghost stories and we say, well, did, didn't that ship sail November 1st? But yeah, it, it's it's really a, a dark, spooky time of year. It's It's wonderful to gather around the campfire and have something hot to drink. And tell spooky stories. It was really the Victorians who really got into this. Um, the, the the Victorians Victorians were a weird bunch. First of all, you've got the the many European wars going on in the middle of the nineteenth century. You've got the American Civil War going on in the middle of the nineteenth century. So the folks in the Victorian era were hyper aware of death and they they really got interested in spiritualism around the middle of the century and they they were very very interested in trying to contact the other side whether that was by telling ghost stories or whether what that was by doing seances and trying to contact their lost loved ones they were just very familiar with the concept of death and spookiness and what lies beyond the veil. Um, it, it's very interesting because in the middle of the 19th century was really the time when you started getting people buying Christmas gifts for each other. Before this, all these presents were handmade but it was in the middle of the 19th century that uh, shopkeepers really started pushing, hey, you know what, you you might, might want to think about buying presents for your family. And authors realized this and started putting together anthologies of ghost stories and pimping them as Christmas presents. <laughs> I love how you said pimping. 
<laughs> this Christmas, we're totally pimping out this Victorian age ghost story for you. Like right away, I know who the biggest hooker ever is: Charles Dickens. Day, like he must be. Like, come on, like, oh, like yeah, Charles, Charles Dickens, absolutely. He 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 had he had trouble paying his bills. I mean, he had this horror of the poor house because when he was a kid, his father was in the poor house. And yeah, Charles Dickens absolutely what had an, a, a terror of going back to the poorhouse. So in, 18, in October 1843, he was really, really hurting for money. He'd gotten married in 1836, and he already had four kids, and there was another one on the way. <laughs> and actually, he, he had a mistress as well. So he was supporting two households oh with his writing. So he he was like, I, I got to figure something out. I got to figure something else. So he he had this idea of writing about the spirits of Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas yet to come. And he threw another ghost in there for, for good measure, the, the ghost of Marley. And he said, oh, this is, this is a Christmas story. It's got ghosts in it. It's going to go over like, like hotcakes. It's going to be wonderful. And then, for good measure, he tossed a ridiculously sentimental subplot in with the character of Tiny Tim. The Victorians loved sickly poor children. They loved to fawn over them. So he, Charles Dickens just threw himself into this work, wrote the book in this, this crazy fever of production, and he got it to his publisher's desk in less than six weeks. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Actually. That's, that's pretty wild. Back then, you got to realize, too, like, that's a lot of work in six weeks, man, especially since you're probably not writing that with a typewriter back then, I don't think. So. Right, yeah, all just scratching with a quill pen, and yeah, and 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 the the gamble paid off big time. A Christmas Carol was released on December nineteenth, eighteen forty three, just in time for Christmas, and the original print run of six thousand copies sold out within three days. Wow, like he's like the Beatles of the Victorian era. <laughs> This is like an yeah. absolute crazy thing. And when I think of ghosts and I think of Christmas, how could you not think of some iteration of that story? Okay, so I got to ask a personal question now. It's got to happen, Sylvia. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite mm -hmm. televised or movie version of that? My personal favorite, I have two. Okay, my personal favorite mm -hmm. is the original with Alistair Sim, that Christmas oh, Carol. Okay. It's also my dad's favorite. His absolute mm -hmm. favorite movie. He watches it during the year, let alone Christmas time. And also, <laughs> I absolutely adore the Mickey Mouse version, a little half hour movie. It's so good. Uh -huh. When you got Pete as the, as Death, he's awesome. <laughs> Pistol Pete. <laughs> so so such a good one. But what's your, what's your favorite version, like film version of that of that uh, story? I must confess, I have a soft spot for the Muppets. Oh yeah! <laughs> Wait a second. Who was it who played in the movie with with them? It was an, uh, a live action person? Yeah, yeah. Um. Oh gosh, who was it? Michael Caine. Yes, and like he played this part, like the second coming of Alistair Sim. These were Muppets <laughs> to him. These were real people. Yeah. If you watch this movie, it is like the, the Muppets are people. Like or like the Muppets are Muppets. They're people. He treats them as people. That's it's insane like, oh, yeah. how well acted he is. I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I got you completely off track. 
Ghosts are everywhere all over Christmas. It, it's just a part of it now. And, well, you kind of wrote the book on it. What can I say? <laughs> can you tell me a little tiny bit about it? Maybe a Christmas ghost story? I would love to hear one. Maybe one that maybe comes from oh. your book. Man, that'd be so cool. And you don't have to read it word for word, but if you can give us the Coles Notes version of one of your stories in your book, man, I think that'd be Shoo. super cool, Sylvia. I really appreciate that, actually. That'd be like an awesome Christmas gift for me. <laughs> well, coming right up, I have so many favorite stories from this book, but I'll share with you one of my absolute favorites. And then I'll share a couple more if, if we have time. But my one of my top five favorite Christmas stories in this book is the story of number 149 squadron. So this happened in late 1939 in the early days of the air war in World War II. The Royal Air Force in England was not doing all that well in the air war. The, the Luftwaffe was very strong, very aggressive, and they're carrying out bombing raids and the, the the English Air Force, the Royal Air Force, was trying its best to keep keep level with the Germans, but um, it, the, the RAF was still trying to test its strength against this really powerful Luftwaffe. And the, many planes were lost. Many pilots died in these air battles. One of the main forces at the time, number 149 Squadron, operated out of Mildenhall Base in Suffolk, England, and they flew Vickers Wellington bombers. Wellingtons were huge, bulky monsters airplanes that they didn't have a whole lot of firepower. They were bombers, yeah, but they couldn't really defend themselves. They went out with escorts, with fighter plane escorts. Radio silence was of paramount importance. So when these bombers left with their fighter escorts, the ground crew at Mildenhall had nothing to do but wait until the planes returned or failed to return. So the missions were timed that the Wellingtons took off in daylight, made their bombing runs, and then booked it for home as darkness fell. They're trying to stay one step ahead of the Luftwaffe. So on December 18th, 1939, this, we're coming up on the shortest day of the year here. There wasn't a whole lot of daylight to work with. So what the ground crews did was they lined the runway at the Air Force Base with cans of par paraffin wax placed in parallel lines outlining the runway. And when they heard the noise of the, the bombers coming back, they would light these lanterns to guide the planes in. And they also had these big um, spotlights called chance lights and those illuminated the runway with this bright yellow beam so the planes had no trouble finding the runway and coming in. So nine Vickers Wellington bombers had taken off from Mildenhall Air Force Base earlier that day. Now two of them developed mechanical failures and limped home without having had the chance to drop their payload. Seven bombers were still left out of the original nine and they were flying in absolutely wretched conditions. There was heavy cloud cover. It had started to snow, and the temperature was dropping. It dropped well below freezing that night. So one, one plane straggled in just past, past 5 p.m. A couple more followed. Um, they, they kind of limped in. 
that left four bombers unaccounted for in the growing winter darkness that started to snow more heavily. The clock was ticking. It was getting dark. It was a late afternoon gloom over the, the overcast gloom faded to full night. And the bombers were now an hour overdue. So the ground crew set up these paraffin lanterns and they, they, um, they had the chance light all set up to go. They were really hoping that those planes crossing their fingers, that the planes were going to come back. They had the sinking feeling that all four of those planes were lost. But um, they still held out hope. I mean, these are, these are Brits. They've got a stiff upper lip. They're, they're still hoping. Another half an hour passes. And then one of the officers lifts his head and he's listening because he can hear the noise of an engine. The hush of the falling snow covered everything, but still, if he listened really carefully, he could hear the, en the plane engine out in the distance. And the, the engine, the noise of the engine comes closer and closer, and oh, yeah, there's definitely a plane in the air. But the ground crew realized that something was very wrong. Instead of the smooth drone of the Vickers' two powerful engines, they heard the choppy, choking cough of a bomber in distress. These mechanics were men who knew their engines. They knew when they heard a plane that was in serious trouble. They could also tell that the plane that was making its, uh, making its approach was not a Vickers Wellington. So they lit the paraffin lanterns, they fired up that chance line, they, light, they bathed the runway in light, and then the ground crew stood staring into the air as they saw the plane coming towards them. The plane that was making its approach over the runway was an ancient, fragile thing. It was not a Vickers Wellington bomber. It was an FE-2 biplane from the early days of World War I. Uh -huh. Great fa fabric clung to the wings. The wires holding the, the wings up hummed in the cold wind, and two rotted bicycle tires spun on the plane's undercarriage as it approached. The stunned ground crew stared up at the pilot. In the glow of the yellow chance light, they could clearly see the scarf, goggles, and helmet of a World War II, World War I flying ace. The pilot thrust his gloved hand over the side of the cockpit and dropped something. And the object fell onto the, the runway with a tink, 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 tink. And then the pilot fired up those <laughs> coughing engines and flew off into the darkness. And the ground crew raced over to the, the object that the pilot has, had dropped. And one of the airmen picked it up and it was a wrench. And there was a piece of paper wrapped around it. The mechanic unwrapped the paper and the men crowded around to read the handwriting. And the, what the note said was that Wellington Aircraft N2961 was down. Not shot down over the continent where the crew would have had a chance to escape or be taken prisoner. The pilot of this plane had coaxed the Vickers bomber as far as he could, trying to make his way back to Mildenhall. 
but the pilot lost his struggle over water. The bomber had go gone down in the sea, 40 miles from the nearest air-sea rescue outfit. That plane on, and everyone on board was lost in the waters. So why did the relic of a bygone age appear in the skies over, over Milden Hall to deliver the tragic news? Well, in the Second World War, number 149 squadron flew Vickers Wellingtons out of Milden Hall Air Force Base. And a generation before, British pilots pioneered the air war flying from airfields in France and number 149 squadron flying in the First World War, flew FE-2 biplanes. So what you're telling me is that this plane was a freaking ghost plane? Yes. And it flew overhead and dropped a wrench with a message about another down plane from like a hundred years later? That's right. <laughs> because, you know, that's not creepy or crazy at all. That's amazing. It's awesome. And, and how do I not have... Snoopy playing in the background here. He fought the Red Baron uh, like the whole time. All you hear is I, I, I can't think of a better way to put Snoopy's song in there. Oh my God! Did he? Did he? Did he giggle a lot? Was there a small bird with the ghost? <laughs> awesome. The historical record doesn't tell us. Such a fun, such a fun time to be alive. Today's days, when my ghost stories are usually more close to home, and. To hear a story like that is really, really cool. So different, you know? Kind of puts me in mind of like ghost train stories and stuff like that. Like you, you hear the plane sometimes or you hear the train, but really do people get a chance to actually see the darn thing? And uh, oh, yeah. wow. What a, what an awesome story. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. Have you got one that's a little more Christmassy? Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, well, we're gonna, like we're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna take a quick break, okay. and then we're gonna come back and we're gonna do another story, so, uh, something right, a little so bit more Christmassier than that. Although I still hear the Snoopy's Christmas song there. Oh my God, what is the name of that song? <laughs> the Royal Guardsman. I can't remember. I'm brain farting on the name of that song right now. I can't believe it. I'm so ashamed. Considering part of that song is part of the intro to this show this week. <laughs> Oh, my God. But anyway, <clears throat> Christmas bells. The Royal Canadian Guard, Royal, Royal Air Guardsman, something like that. But anyway, that's what yeah. I'm thinking about. Okay, we'll be right back, guys. Hang on one minute. We'll be back with another ghost story. Attention all Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio listeners. The Odd to Newfoundland Paranormal Podcast brings you the best in East Coast esoterica on the first of every month. Together, we can keep it growing by sharing the show on social media, subscribing to the show wherever you may be listening to it from, and by leaving feedback about your favorite episodes. John certainly needs a friend like you to help make his dreams come true. Minus the alien abduction dreams. That is not cool at all. The Odd to Newfoundland Paranormal Podcast. Always available. Always free. Always odd. Welcome back to the On the Newfoundland Paranormal Podcast, guys. So glad to still have you here. I love it. Our amazing guest. She's the author of The Spirits of Christmas, The Dark Side of the Holidays. She's a fellow paranormal investigator and author, she, and she's also on her second stint here on this show. That's how much I love her. I've had her back again. Amazing. 
Sylvia Schultz just told us an absolutely bone-chilling story about a ghost plane from World War One helping out a flight crew from World War Two. Unfortunately, with some really bad news. Oh my God, this is way more fun than the Polar Express movie. I mean, what can I say? This was just absolutely freaking heartwarming. I, I and and it's kind of spine tingling and at the same time kind of creepy. So, one good scare deserves another, right? Sylvia, have you got another oh, yeah. Christmas ghost story to tell me? I would love to hear one that's more Christmassy. That'd be awesome. Oh, how about one that happened on Christmas Eve? Is that Christmassy enough for you? Oh yeah, bring it on. Let's do it. All right. Okay. So this is another story from England. I I have been head over heels in love with England since I was in high school. So I have a soft spot for English ghost stories. So um, this uh, comes to us from Staffordshire, England and Hatherton Hall. The Lord Hatherton who held the title of Lord towards the end of the 19th century was famed for the quality of his cellars. And on one Christmas Eve, he hosted a party for some of his friends while their wives attended a party of their own. So it was just the guys, total sausage bears. But after the <laughs> after dinner, <laughs> well, they, they, they let the ladies go and do their own thing. And then they, the guys had, had their cigars and brandy. And the, ladies went, the ladies um, went home with the Belschnickel while the guys were hanging out. Yeah, Tell the truth. Like that. <laughs> yeah. They were into that BDSM stuff, you know. They want to get they want to they want to get the switch. They really do. Keep going. <laughs> no, what what happens at the party stays at the party. Something like that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> after after a a sumptuous repast, Lord Hatherton and his friends went to his study for port and cigars. All of the men were getting companionably companionably sloshed. When one of the guests picked up something from Lord Hatherton's desk, and then he put it down again really quickly because it was a human skull. Oh, boy. That was lined with silver. <laughs> and Lord Hatherton went, saw this guy, put it back down really quickly, and he went over to his desk, and he grinned and picked it up. And he said that the skull had belonged in life to an ancestor of his, Sir Hugh Hatherton. Sometime after Lord Hugh's death, his tomb in a private chapel had been disturbed. We don't know who it was that dug up and opened this tomb, but his skull found its way to the hands of one of his descendants who thought it amusing to line it with silver and use it as a goblet. So this skull goblet got mixed reactions from all of the guests there. Some of them were like, dude, what is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> and some of them were like, dang it, that, that's kind of cool. <laughs> so, yeah, mixed reactions for, for sure. So Lord Hatherton said, you know what, let's, let's do this right. And he called for a bottle of his finest brandy. And all of his guests knew of the quality of Lord Hatherton's liquor collection. And it was of the offer of fine brandy that really broke the ice. His guests, the, the part the, the part of his guests that were disgusted by it, soon forgot all about their qualms. And Sir Hugh's skull was filled to the brim and passed around the room. The guests even toasted Sir Hugh with his own skull, inviting him to come spend Christmas Eve with them. 
And Lord Hatherton was three sheets to the wind by then. And he said, you know what? If Lord Hugh does show up, that's how good a mood I'm in. And at the stroke of midnight, the skull had found its way back to the desk and was sitting on the desk. And then every man in the room heard footsteps in the hall outside the study. And these were not the footsteps of their wives, light from dancing at the ball all evening. These were the heavy footsteps of a man, a very large man. Oh, God. Was it a bell shickle? <laughs> a noise no, came okay. from the I, desk. I got to stop with the bell shickle stuff. I'm sorry. Keep going, Sylvia. <laughs> Everyone turned to everyone turned to look at the desk, and the skull rolled slowly to the edge of the desk, then fell to the floor and rolled underneath it. This was creepy enough, but then the door to the study slammed open. A bone-chilling blast of air swept the room, and there in the doorway stood a headless knight in full armor. Oh Every man in the room froze at the sight. The knight gave a sarcastic, exaggerated bow, turned and walked with dignity down the hallway. When the wives did return a little while later, their husbands were all stone-cold sober. (laughs) Many of them insisted on leaving a light on all night when they retired to go to sleep. The next morning, the skull had vanished from under the desk The silver plate lining was found on the lawn outside the study window, but the skull itself was never seen again. That's what you get for drinking booze into some dead guy's head. What were they thinking? What? (laughs) And, like, obviously this is a knight. Like, couldn't you just use this helmet? That would have been equally as cool. Oh, no, you had to be disrespectful to the dead and chug a great big drink out of someone's freaking cranium. Like, what are you thinking? (laughs) <laughs> oh my god I feel like I have been thoroughly thoroughly I think I have been thoroughly thoroughly entertained here I really really do Good. and I appreciate all you have done I really do this has been just super awesome I think they got what's coming to them Sylvia I really do I think they got what's coming to them I really do you have been an amazing guest. Thank you so much for being on the Audited Flamparo podcast. I had an absolute blast tonight. This has been awesome. Where can people buy The Spirits of Christmas, The Dark Side of the Holidays, and your new book as well? Where can people get those things? Well, of course, they're on Amazon. But when I tell people where to get my book, I really like to point them towards a little place called bookshop.org. Amazon does not need our help. (laughs) But when you order from bookshop.org, which does have both Spirits of Christmas and Gone on Vacation, when you order from bookshop.org, part of your purchase price goes into a fund, and that fund gets divvied up between independent bookstores. So it's a wonderful way to support indie bookstores. Nice. So, yeah, yeah. I like That kind of gives you a nice, warm, holly, jolly feeling. So, right. what was the name yeah. of that website again? 
It's called bookshop.org. Bookshop.org, guys. Go on there. Buy a copy of Fractured Spirits, you know, for your crazy Aunt Edna who's locked up somewhere. Buy a copy of The Spirits <laughs> of Christmas, The Dark Side of the Holidays, if you enjoyed these stories here tonight. And your new book, the name of it again was? Gone on Vacation, Haunted Zoos, Museums, and Amusement Parks. There wouldn't happen to be like a National Lampoon Christmas vacation in that book, would there? <laughs> I'm joking. There are some fun, fun stories in there. I'm joking. Listen, have an amazing, amazing holiday season, Sylvia. Thank you so much for being on. You take care now. Thank you. You too. Bye, John. Bye now.